I think uh, in some industries, in some countries, in, in some organizations, human resources still has a bad reputation. It's either the necessary evil Mm. or that you have to have or uh, they see human resources as the no department no we can't do this because we have a policy <laughs> no we're not allowed to do that um, I'm happy to say that there's um, a new community of HR professionals who are more creative and really understand that they are part of the business that they need to understand operations that they need to understand finance that they need to understand marketing. They have to have, do environmental scans to know what's happening in their industry and in the world in general. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hacking HR Podcast. I'm Tatiana. I'm delighted to be joined by a fascinating person today joining us from Vancouver, Canada, Angela Chan. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. It's awesome to have you. And we will be teasing with a few statements you've made early in our conversation before we hit record so that people get a feel for where we are heading. Um, we were talking about career transitions initially being in operations and then transitioning to HR. And Angela said, I'm a business person, just knowing a lot of stuff around HR. So that's amazing. Um, we're gonna talk about a war on talent. Is there really one? And then we're going to talk about, and I just love the term, squiggly line career. So good to have you, Angela. And let's start right with this, what you described as, I'm just a business person. Why do we still distinguish between, oh, transition from business to HR, when you just say it's all business? You bring up such a great point. I think uh, in some industries, in some countries, in, in some organizations, human resources still has a bad reputation. It's either the necessary evil mm. or that you have to have, or uh, they see human resources as the no department. No, we can't do this because we have a policy. <laughs> no, we're not allowed to do that. Um, I'm happy to say that there's um, a new community of HR professionals who are more creative and really understand that they are part of the business, that they need to understand operations, that they need to understand finance, that they need to understand marketing. They have to have, do environmental scans to know what's happening in their industry and in the world in general in order to be able to create great HR environments where employees want to go to work and want, are inspired to do their best work. But unfortunately, there is uh, um, a segment of human resources professionals who, who don't think that way and unfortunately help to perpetuate that bad reputation mm -hmm. that human resources has. And so for those organizations or those industries where there is that reputation of human resources being unnecessary evil or um, sort of the, the gatekeeper to the no, um, I think that they are seen as distinct and separate from the business. Mm. And those uh, human resources professionals and organizations that thrive and succeed are the ones that actually see human resources as a very integral part of the business. And that's why I like to say, I'm, I don't consider myself an HR person. I consider myself as a business person who knows a lot about HR. Love that. Thanks for that statement. And I think that's certainly something we should all put on our doors and business cards if they still exist and anywhere <laughs> else. Love that. Now, let's talk about what we just touched upon briefly, career 
segments, the way how we look at people, how we look at their skill set, competencies. You claim there is no war on talent. Take us on the journey of that discovery and, and what that means for HR professionals. Yeah, so I, I released a book in November 2020 called The Squiggly Line Career. And in it, I actually have a, a chapter that says there is no war on talent. So we need to stop saying that. People think that it's hard to find uh, competent and qualified candidates for our work. And every time I go to a networking event or a conference, everyone talks about this war on talent and how hard it is to find people. And yet the room, the conference, the, the world is full of all of these amazing and competent people. I think what's happened, Tatiana, is that uh, because everyone's very busy and humans by nature try to find the easiest path, the path of least resistance, mm -hmm. just like water does, right? Water tries to find the path mm -hmm. of least resistance and then it erodes it. Uh, what happens is we rely a lot on applicant tracking systems or other technology through our HRIS. And we focus on just job titles. When we get resumes, we, we took take the resume, we take our six seconds to scan it, and we're trying to find that job title that exactly matches what we've posted. And when we don't find it, we might have gotten 100 resumes, and we say, not one person in this 100 has what we're looking for. But, but if you want to really believe that there's no war on talent, that you can find people, you need to focus on transferable skills and on competencies and forget job titles because a job title in one company might mean something different in another. Mm. For those of you that are listening, think about the title ex account executive. I used to work for a bank and we had uh, a lot of people called account executives. It's a very fancy title because they had to uh, go and uh, meet with clients. And really they were an individual contributor level um, that was actually quite junior on the rung, but to the outside world, it seemed pretty high. And then you, I worked in another organization where they were an account executive and they were vice presidents actually okay. sitting at the seat suite table. And so you can't go with just job titles. That's why I talk about transferable skills. So uh, earlier in my early in my career, I actually used to work as an insurance adjuster. That wasn't my first job, but that was my main job early mm -hmm. in my career. And when I decided, I, I realized that I had a real passion for a few things. One is my work required that I understand contracts, that I was good with customer service, that I understood legislation, um, that I knew the legal system because of the, the nature of my work. And it had a lot to do with uh, training and education, both internally and of our of our insureds. Well, when you think about that step into human resources, instead of dealing with upset customers, we now deal with employees who are generally going through issues or managers who have employee relations issues. When you think about the legislation I had to work with in uh, as a claims adjuster, well, what what's the foundation of human resources? It's employment law, human rights codes, privacy, right? It's all legislation. You have to know that. You have to know how to, how to apply it. When you look at um, the training and education we had to do for internally or for insurers, well, human resources also does training and development, mm -hmm. leadership development, mentoring. So there's so much of what I used to do as a claims adjuster that relates to and applies to human resources. But who would have thought that if you just look at my resume? Right. You never would have thought that. Mm -hmm. And so there is no war on talent. What we need to do as human resources professionals, as hiring managers, as organizations, especially if we want to uh, increase diversity, 
within our uh, um, employment uh, employee ranks is really look beyond job titles. Don't rely solely on the ATS and look at what a person's transferable skills are and how they relate to that. Mm, love that. And would you have a recommendation how to go about this? Because obviously the first touch point we have is either the system or the written resume in any shape or form. How do you really then take people to have this view to really allow this new lens and, and, and start, you know, may, maybe making some different um, connections and conclusions? You know what, the uh, ATS and other technology was put in place to make our lives easier. Mm -hmm. Who wants to have an email uh, of, of two or 300 resumes per job posting and have to go through each one? So it really made sense to have technology in place to help us sort through filter and do that. So I'm not saying get rid of technology. Mm -hmm. I'm saying if you're going to use it, use it smarter. And so one way you can do is rather than if your ATS, your applicant tracking system allows for a ranking, don't do the ranking based on job title because sometimes it ranks candidates based on the match mm -hmm. to the job description. Instead, have the keywords for the ranking be on competence and have it ranked on that, uh, not necessarily the job task, but the, the skill that's required to do that job. Mm -hmm. And so um, let's say, for example, that you've done that and you've, you still end up with 50 or 80 resumes and you're thinking, my goodness, how am I going to ever narrow it down because I can't go through 80 interviews? That's just not feasible. One thing that we've been doing in my organization is we send out an assessment to uh, candidates. So let's say that we do have 100 resumes or 80 resumes. We send the assessment to everybody. And we generally ask uh, a couple of uh, required questions like, are you legally uh, eligible to work in Canada? Because that's a requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, we will put the salary, we'll say the salary for this range that we're, or for this role that we're offering is X. If you, if this is in line with your expectations and you would like to proceed with your candidacy, please answer the following questions and return it to us. And it might be based, it's skills-based. So mm -hmm. if, for example, we need somebody who's really proficient in Excel, because it's all going to be data and, and, and um, uh, analytics, et cetera, we send them an assessment that has it so that we can assess their skill and being able mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, if we're hiring for a recruiter, we talk about how they might approach a certain recruit. Uh, if it's um, uh, a, a job for a learning and development person, maybe we ask them to put together a five-minute presentation uh, that, uh, to teach us something mm -hmm. by video. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, of course, the assessment differs based on the role. But what we do is we send it out. And what that does is two things. One is it it narrows down the list of applicants mm -hmm. because you'd be surprised at how many people self-select out. They don't want to take that extra step. Right. So now from 80 or hundred resumes, we now have 30, much more manageable. Mm -hmm. And then from the 30, we look and say, okay, based on the skills that we're looking for, not the job title, not the past experience, but the skill and the competency, who from, from these assessments can, uh, looks like they might be able to do it. And that's who we invite for uh, interviews. So from the original 80 to 100, we get down to eight. And we've been very successful in hiring that way. Love it. And I think it also gives you a nice side effect, which is the richness, because as you said, it's, trans it's transferable skills. So the moment you maybe don't need them for that particular role any longer, you still have that asset of that skill set. And you can say, now let's match it to a different type of the organization, because we know what we have in you as to value. Whatever title you carry is really irrelevant, because that's the core that we need 
that's we'll right find a way to transfer it and reuse it somewhere else oh 100 percent. i agree Love with that. you so much the, and i mentioned a moment ago that looking beyond job titles and looking at transferable skills and competencies also helps to expand your pool of diverse candidates. And here, mm. uh, particularly Canada, and I know in some other countries as well, there's a lot of talk about how to uh, bring in more uh, women into your organization, more uh, Black or people of color, more Indigenous employees. And so if you focus only on job titles and experience, you really do miss out on the richness because they may have the skills to do it, mm. but not the Canadian experience or not the um, actual job title that you're looking for. Very true. Just reminds me of a young um, and really young also in age, but also an experienced lady who approached me at some point and saying, I'm trying to get a foot into the HR industry, into the whole world. I'm so excited about it. I'm doing everything I can. I'm not getting an opportunity because I lack the experience. So how, how do you get the experience get if the you experience? don't? <laughs> exactly. So I was like, okay, so tell me what you've done before. And she was like, yeah, but I keep failing on the application process. And talk to me what you've done. What are you proud of? What do you think has really created an impact or, or a difference or has given any kind of result that is somewhat measurable? And she was so full of ideas. So just, you know, just remembering it is like, with that, you're right. She had an opportunity. And then, you know, I connected her to somebody and then they took it away. But on, on the kind of classic approach, she just could not get a foot in the door, which was her greatest wish. So we missed out on somebody really, you know, kind of scratching the door and saying, let me in. And we're like, no, sorry. Tatiana, oh my gosh, I love your approach and the advice you gave her. And, and we need more people like you. And, and well, thank you. But I think that was accidental. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for her, I guess. Probably. You know, it goes back to what I was saying, you know, HR has such a bad reputation because we don't even open the doors to our own, mm. right? We say you don't have HR experience. That's my right. goodness. All of us started at one point with no mm -hmm. HR experience. I, you know, my, my first HR, my first real HR job, I had zero, zero HR experience. My experience had been in operations and uh, I did a stint in learning development, but that was also part of operations. And I became a vice president of HR with literally nine months of HR experience in my under my belt. And so because again, I was able to demonstrate for a person with an open mind, that what I had done in my past work, um, actually related to what I was going to be doing in HR. So when I was working, I worked for a car rental company. And one of the things that we would do is create incentive programs. So mm. bonus programs, contests in order to increase sales was part of operations. I was the revenue manager. Well, guess what HR does? We do compensation programs. We do bonus <laughs> programs. And so even though I had not worked in HR, I had done the work that could translate to HR. And uh, Tatiana, as you proved yourself just with your comment, Sometimes you, you need a bit of a lucky break. You need somebody with an open mind who can see the connections mm. and it's up to the person, the candidate or the person who's job seeking to help connect the dots for that recruiter or that hiring manager. They need to, they can't just send in a resume and hope for the best. They mm. have to say, here's why I can do the job because you're looking for this and I've done this and you're looking for that and I've done that. You have to draw the, uh, the connections for the recruiter. Make it easy for the recruiter to hire mm. you. And we can help build that bridge by saying, this is what we are looking for. Yes. Is it in yourself this way. Here's a little bit of an inside 
So you can. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about that in my book, The Squiggly Line Career, in the second part, which is uh, really aimed at recruiters and human resources, about how you can do that, how you can create job awesome. descriptions that focus on what you're looking for for your organization and not just the job title. Love that. Let's talk a little further about squiggly line career. I love the title. It's really funny. And I think that's exactly the intention. But it obviously also has the serious connotation of there is no straight line from A to B. So can you share a little bit more? Where was the initial idea for the book and what are you hoping to achieve with it? The squiggly line career is something I've been talking about for oh, maybe 20 years. And it's really about that idea that we talked about a few moments ago that rather than focusing on job titles and a linear career path, really focus on what skill set and skill sets and competencies you need within your organization uh, and who has that. So it, it started with as a I started blogging about it and talking about it based on my own career, which is I started as the mailroom clerk in an insurance company, and then I became an insurance adjuster. And I was able to take the work that I had done as an insurance adjuster to become uh, a member of the learning and development department, again, with operations, move on, uh, take that experience, become a revenue manager for uh, a Canadian uh, car rental company, take that experience and start working for a bank in learning and development, which eventually led to my working in human resources for another company. And so each step was built on the step before. But as you can see, it was not linear. Mm -hmm. uh, when I worked for um, a large insurance company, uh, a lot of the requests we would get is that we would create career paths. So uh, managers and some employees wanted to see how could their career go. So you started as the junior underwriter, then you were the intermediate underwriter, then you were the senior underwriter, then you were the manager of underwriters, and then you would become the director of manager of underwriters. And then eventually, if you were lucky, you would become the vice president of underwriters. Well, that's fantastic for those people who really need that structure. But I thought, wow, you really miss out on a lot of growth, personal and professional growth, if all you're looking at is a, is a linear path. And uh, I, thought, I, I find that companies um, and people who take advantage of rotational um, opportunities where instead of going from a junior underwriter to an intermediate underwriter, to, they go from, a, from an underwriter to a finance person to marketing and then back to operations. I find that because they have much uh, more um, expanded experience and a view of the organization they're actually that much more marketable and valuable to an organization because mm. they understand how all the pieces fit together and so that's really what the squiggly line career is about it's encouraging people to take advantage and not necessarily for those who want to pursue a linear career path good on you that's fantastic yeah but for 90% of the, of, the, of the world, uh, it's not that easy or there may not be that many opportunities to follow just a career. You may have to wait 20 years for that next promotion. Sure. Otherwise it's taken, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I love that. And you did mention that you have samples in your books. Is there a favorite one? One that really stands out where you're like, wow, that's so inspiring. That really takes it to a different level. 
Oh my gosh, there's so many examples. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk about one person. She um, was an immigrant to Canada from China, and uh, she had uh, gotten uh, a degree in uh, computer science and um, electrical engineering, mm -hmm. but hated hated that. She pursued it because her parents uh, encouraged her to pursue that as a career, but she really wanted to be in sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And when she came to Canada, of course, she had no sales and marketing experience experience and right. was a newcomer to Canada and so had trouble uh, being hired and so what she did was she ended up uh, taking a job as an IT help desk person for a large bank mm -hmm. realized pretty quickly that they were starting to um, uh, create a new a new department in data analytics data warehousing and realized that her experience with her uh, education uh, could help her be the bridge between IT and operations. And so she went and approached the executive sponsor and said, how about if I take on this role being this bridge? And uh, uh, from there ended up going into marketing uh, to promote some of the uh, uh, bank's businesses. Um, I'm going to skip forward to sort of like sort of the end of her, you know, the most recent part of, uh, and then, you know, 10 years later is the CEO of a credit union. And so there's one where it's, you know, you start with a schooling that you don't really love. It's not really the profession you want to do. And suddenly you're the CEO of a bank. Wow. Right? Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. But the book's full of great examples. And, you know, a lot of people who are reading it, they're saying, hey, that sounds just like me. That sounds like me. And mm -hmm. I said, yes, there's more of us like that than we admit, because mm -hmm. everybody thinks you have to be the junior underwriter, then the intermediate underwriter, right. then the senior. You don't. No, it's so right. And, you know, Angela, I've just started kind of reshaping my own um, kind of, you know, leadership and development agenda, because I'm just thinking, I can visualize it, it's in boxes, and it says skill A, and it has 15 arrows, you can do this, 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 and that it doesn't take you just skill A takes you plus skill B takes you to this. No, it's, yeah. if you have that skill set, you can go this place, that place, the other place, whatever you prefer. Here is what you need to add a little bit extra, maybe in terms of experience, or you have to see another department as you just described in order to see the connecting dots and actually be that bridge that really helps yes. make both parties more successful because they start yes. understanding each other way better. So I love that. If I just think, you know, all the career paths that I've been designing in my past corporate life, yes, they were stray, uh, slightly more linear and more limiting. So I love that. That's really you know, practical, straight to the practice. You're so right. When you talk about uh, this skill can lead you here, 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 you're so right about that. And really being a, I call them squiggly line careerists, being a squiggly <laughs> line careerist is really about saying, here's what I can offer versus here's what my job title used to be. Yeah. So when you think about terms of here's what my skills and experience can offer you, regardless of what my job title was, this is what I can do. That's how recruiters, hiring managers, and human resources in general can really see beyond that there is no war on talent. There actually are enough human beings in the world and maybe even in your market to do what you need to get done. You just Love need to that. think broader. I love that. That's such a great line of optimism there. Thank you for that, Angela. And obviously, unfortunately, as usual, time runs too fast. Oh, my goodness. But we'd love to ask you the one question that we keep asking every single guest on the show. What are you most excited about or even most concerned about if we talk future or more specifically future of work? 
What I'm most excited about is seeing the uh, evolution of human resources. If you think about where where it started, human resources started, you know, because of the labor movements uh, to, to help create working conditions that were tolerable for employees, and then it became the personnel department in twenty or in in nineteen in the fifties, where it was about payroll and about getting people hired. And over time, there's been an evolution of human resources to be more about people and culture, and um, really about helping to work with the business, work with with the rest of the leaders to create an environment where people are inspired to come in and do their best. Work should not be a drudgery. Mm-hmm. Work should be something that fulfills you, fills you with a sense of purpose that gives you that personal or professional growth that you're seeking, even if it's only for a short time before you move on and helps you um, earn a livelihood that lets you do things that you want to do, including pay your rent, go on a trip back when we could actually travel. Uh, thanks to the pandemic, we can't do that mm-hmm. right now. Uh, and so work should not be a, a drudgery. And I see human resources uh, evolving where we have a very significant uh part to play. And I'm excited about where it's going. It's actually the the evolution of human resources is accelerating so much faster in the last five years. And I think it had in the last 50 years. Mm. And so I'm super excited to see, see where it is. And human resources and the, should be, uh, um, you can't see me, I'm crossing my fingers, should be like this with uh, the CEO and the other members at the CFO, really about how, how can it be a partnership to help the organization succeed? Wonderful words of wisdom. I love your optimism about it. And I think you've proven, you know, as you said, business person who knows a lot about HR and giving all these wonderful examples, rotation, transferable skills, Asking the questions, what can I offer? How can I transfer this from A to B? I think there is so many really tangible, practical tips in here. People can just run away with for themselves, for their teams, for the organization, or anybody literally. And I love that. So I think I'm certainly going to teach my kids differently how to look for jobs as they start finishing school soon. So that's going to be a whole new chapter. But um, there is a lot of in there. So thank you, Angela, for your time. For your generosity thank you Tatiana. Sharing all of this really appreciate it's been it. a great conversation i've really enjoyed it thank you so much likewise thanks everybody for joining we hope you had as much joy as we did keep watching out for new episodes of the hacking hr podcast until then stay safe and stay well thank you everybody for watching or listening to this podcast i hope you enjoyed the show please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.